Indeed, friends, remain standing out of affection for God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. And join me in turning to Romans chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 21 today. Two weeks ago, we began a three-part sermon series for every other week. Two weeks ago, then today, and then two weeks from today. As we move closer to my departure from my ministry here at Redeemer Church... I started a three-week farewell series, and two weeks ago we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which is my life verse that I'm not going to boast in any of my own strength, but I will boast only in my weakness, because when I am weak, then I am strong. I will boast only in what Christ has done for me. I stood here and said, 16 and a half years, I have lots to boast about, but I was not going to do it. I was going to boast only in Christ. Well, today we're going to look at a second verse from Romans chapter 15, and Paul tells us, yeah, go ahead and boast a little bit. So we are going to boast a little bit, and it would seem that these are contradictory, that what we read last or two times ago, two weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 12 not to boast, and now here Paul tells us he, he does boast, but there is a connection, there is a similarity. Let me show it to you. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 14. Friends, hear now the very words of God. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Father in heaven, your word is open in our laps, soon to be as we are seated. We pray that you would allow us by the power of your spirit to give our full attention to the reading and the preaching of your word. We have much that we could boast about, but today, Father, we boast only that you have used us to accomplish your kingdom building here at Redeemer Church. So allow us to see that, to glory in the work that you have accomplished and promise to continue to accomplish even from this day forward. Do that, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. I'm certain this has probably happened to you. It's happened to me on several occasions. I stood at the at the lookout at Mount Rushmore, and I looked up at that mountainside with those faces of the presidents carved into the side of the mountain, and my question is, how in the world did they do that? 
how in the world did they accomplish something that magnificent, that large? But then I left there and I went over to Crazy Horse, which is not very far away from Mount Rushmore. Crazy Horse is probably 10 times as large as Mount Rushmore, and it's the beginning of the work of, a, of an Indian uh, in all of his regalia, his feathers pointing out this way as he's riding on his horse. And that was started by one man years ago who with sticks of dynamite and chisels and everything else began to chisel this huge monument in the side of a mountain. And I just stand there and I say to myself, how in the world did they ever do that? I found that to be reality as I stood on Mars Hill looking up at the Parthenon when I was in Greece and when I also was in Israel standing at the Wailing Wall that was stories high and could only picture that magnificent temple or in Rome looking at the Colosseum. So I stand there and I say, man, how could anybody have ever accomplished something like that? And then I walk through the back doors and I look at this pulpit and I look at that table, and I look at that cross, and I look at that millwork, and I think about my friend Matt Linhard, who created all of this stuff. He made all of this stuff out of blank lumber, and I say to myself, how in the world did he do something like that? I was reminded of that this past week as I was cleaning out some files in my office, and I came across, here's the difference. Here's the difference. I came across this picture of what is stamped, burned into the back of that cross. On the back side of that cross that you cannot see, it says Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And the day that we added on to our building, the second phase of our building, and then it ends with these words, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And then I stand here week in and week out and I look at this plaque that you can't see, but I can see a plaque from John 12, 21 that simply says, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. The preaching of the word is the giving of Jesus. Every week I have stood here before I have begun and I've looked at that little quote and I've thought, I've thought to myself, I want to give them Jesus. There's the difference. Because this thing was created, that thing was created, not for the glory and the boast of an individual, but for the glory of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Sixteen and a half years I've served you as your senior pastor. How I would love in my human pride to stand up here and boast about all that I've done for the last sixteen and a half years. And you know what, today I'm going to do a little bit of that. But I'm going to do it along with the Apostle Paul, who tells us in this passage right here that that's in fact exactly what he is doing. The context of this passage, because we've not gone line by line in this book, is this. From the words of Acts and Corinthians, we can put together a timing of Paul's letter to the, to the church at Rome. He's coming to the end of his earthly ministry and his earthly life. It's about to be over and he is looking back and he is reflecting on everything that has been accomplished by him because of the power of the work of the Spirit that's alive within him. He is actually beginning now, the very end of his earthly ministry and his earthly life. He actually 
leaves and goes to Jerusalem. He's arrested in Jerusalem. Not long before he writes this letter, he's sent to Rome. He's imprisoned in Rome, and there he dies shortly after. So he has come to the end of his ministry, the end of his life, and he looks back and he says, I, am, I boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. I glory in the Lord Jesus Christ that he used someone like me to do something like this to accomplish all that has been accomplished. There are two parts of our, of our text this morning. Look at the very first word in, in verse 17. The word is therefore. And every time you come across that word, you've heard it, right? You've got to ask the word, what's the word therefore, therefore? It connects what comes before and what comes after. So Paul really gives us a two-point focus, a two point focus in what it is that he is glorying in, what it is that he is boasting in, in glorying in Christ, boasting in Christ, the confidence that he has at the end of his life and the proclamation of the word that he has done throughout the entirety of his life. And so the word therefore connects verses 14 and 15 and 16. And then 17 is that hinge verse that then connects 18, 19, 20, and 21. And look what he says in verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Here's how Romans 15 and 2 Corinthians 12 from two weeks ago are connected. I will boast, but I will boast only in Christ. I will boast only in Christ and what he has done through me to serve the saints of Redeemer effectively to build his kingdom here among us. I want us to spend just a little bit of time working through this passage and remembering, looking at what God has actually accomplished through Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can stand here now a couple of weeks before my departure and say, let us glory in Christ Jesus and in our service to God and to God alone. He begins in verse 14 and 15 and 16. But actually, if we jump to the verses before that, what we find is that the Apostle Paul in verse 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, completed knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. He is saying, I myself am convinced, or I am filled with utter confidence that you know the Word of God. He has been their teacher he has given them the word of God. And so he now says, I am filled with confidence that you actually know the word of God. Back in chapter 15, the beginning and all the way through, look how many times he refers to the Gentiles, but he uses Old Testament passages. In chapter 15, verse 8, he says, I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made by the patriarchs to the Gentiles for the glory of God. And so he says then in the verses that follow, verse 9, Therefore I will praise you for the Gentiles. Or verse 10, Rejoice, O Gentiles. Verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And then again in verse 12, The root of Jesse springing up that the Gentiles will have hope in him. This was foundational to the ministry, the proclamation of the word by the Apostle Paul. The foundation understanding that the Gentiles were always declared 
going to be part of the covenantal promises to the chosen race, Israel. From one individual family, Adam and Eve, comes one ethnic family, the Jew, that would become one elect family, the new Israel, the Jews and the Gentiles together. It always perplexes me why the scribes and the Pharisees got so bent out of shape that the Gentiles were engrafted into the covenant community when all of these Old Testament passages tell us that God was going to do it. By the faithful teaching of his word, he was going to show the Gentiles that they were recipients of that promise as well. This was foundational to Paul's ministry. The Gentiles would come in. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's what he's saying to people like you and me. I am convinced then, verse 14, I am utterly filled with confidence that you yourselves are full of the goodness competent in knowledge, competent to instruct one another, and so forth, that we're saying that the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God, doesn't simply save us from our sin, but it actually changes us from the inside out to become what God has already declared that we are. If this gospel has not changed the way you live your life, then you have every right to question if this gospel has been planted in your heart. The gospel is the word of salvation, but it is also the word of change. It changes us completely. That's why Paul says, I am utterly convinced, I'm filled with confidence that you, I can stand here, 16 and a half years later as your pastor and say, I am leaving this place and I am utterly convinced, filled with confidence that you yourselves are full of goodness, completed knowledge, competent, able to instruct one another. The Greek word translated in the English, instruct, is the word that gives us this understanding, that you give warning or you give admonishment. It's not simply, simply cognitive rationale or understanding. Paul is saying, I am utterly convinced, I have all the confidence that you will instruct, you will warn one another, you will admonish one another. That's why he goes on to say, I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you again that the Gentiles were always part of this covenant promise. Here it is, friends. We don't need we don't need storytelling in the pulpits of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need bold proclamation, admonishment, warning of the continued living in sin. You are apart from saving grace. I give you great thanks and praise that I for 16 and a half years have been able to stand and rightly Proclaim to you the word of God with great admonishment and boldness. I haven't stood up here and taught you little storytelling, just this quibble, this just lack of, this fluff after fluff. You don't need it. I don't want to waste my time giving it. The only word for our faith and hope and practice is here in the word of God. And so I glory in Christ Jesus. I glory that I have had the ability to boldly admonish and warn you to give you the gospel of grace. Sinclair Ferguson put it like this. He said, evangelicals love boldness until it stands on one of their toes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so easy to respond as long as you're talking about 
him or him or her or her and not me. But as soon as you start talking about me, then, then you've just gone, you know, you've gone from preaching to meddling then, right? You don't need fluff. You don't need to call another senior pastor. And I'm certain, I'm confident, I'm absolutely confident that you won't. You desire the Word of God. You desire to be taught the Word of God. You don't want somebody standing up here and just giving you fluff after fluff. You want someone giving you the Word of God. Ferguson also said this, the more grace there is in a congregation, the more boldness there will be in a pulpit. The more grace you extend to your new pastor, the bolder he will stand here and proclaim to you the very word of God. That's what you need. And so I am convinced, utterly convinced, my brothers and my sisters, that you yourselves are full of all of these things. The context of the power of the word at work in you, you starve for it, you thirst for it, because it brings about results in a complete change. And this word is done in the context of formal worship. Look what he goes on to say in verse 15 and 16. He reminds him of these points because of the grace that God gave him to be a minister of, the, of Christ to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God that the Gentiles might be found acceptable. The word minister there in verse 16, the Greek word is a form of the word from which we get our word liturgy. Now Paul could have used two other words. He could have used servant or another word like that. But he says, I am giving grace to God. I am confident that God has allowed me now in the liturgy in the liturgy to direct people to the word so that they might then in turn do the work of the, of the gospel of Christ as the work of the Spirit is at work within them. Here's what Paul is saying. This gospel works, friends. The gospel that we have gathered here in the context of formal worship, as we're going through all of these things, proclaiming the gospel, this minister of grace in the priestly duties of proclaiming the gospel of God, all of this stuff that we're doing, this liturgy that moves us from the call of God, come into my presence, and then we see him high and lifted up, and we, we realize that we declare his praise, we respond by singing his praise, but then he's reminds us of his law that we have broken, it reminds us of how sinful we are so we confess our sin, but then he reminds us of his assurance of pardoning grace and then we respond with a hymn of praise and then he speaks to us through his word and then we respond with a hymn of response and the giving of our gifts. Then he speaks to us through the, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and we respond with a hymn of thanksgiving. This dialogue that goes back and forth and back and forth has purpose. It has meaning. In the context of formal worship, what we are declaring to all of the world and to one another is, this gospel really does work. It really does work. The gospel works out there, and guess what? The gospel actually works in here with you and me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are alienated from one brother or one sister in Christ, you are alienated from the gospel. If you refuse, refuse to confess your sin or to, to uh, extend forgiveness to someone else who is confessing his or her sin to you, you continue to have that dividing wall, then you are alienated from this gospel that you are declaring by acting through this liturgy. You're saying that it works, but it's not at work if there is division 
within the church. That's what Paul is saying. I'm confident. I'm confident now that you are going to admonish one another, warn one another, build one another up, live in the context of this community, this gospel that actually does work. I'm not a very big guy. Have you noticed that? I was even a smaller guy when I was in Little League in the associated sports. I, I love baseball now, and I'm much better at it now than I was when I was a small child. But I played associated sports baseball, and the helmets never did quite fit. They were always too big. And I would stand up there, and I would hold my bat as the pitcher would pitch, and I never, I never swung at anything. I was scared of getting hit. I, I, just, I was this little runt who weighed probably about 40 pounds or so. And when the stands of all the, all the moms and dads would be in there and, you know, there'd be a tie score or something like that, and then it was my turn, I'd be on deck and I'd come to the plate, you would hear an audible, oh. Because <laughs> they, they knew that I was not going to hit. I wasn't even going to swing. I wasn't going to swing, much less hit the ball, except for one day. One day, I closed my eyes, and I don't know what it was, but I swung with all of my might, and that ball went straight up, and it fell right between me and the first baseman. And I, he was, I think, I don't know, I didn't ask him, but I think he thought it was going to roll out foul and it would be a foul ball. So I took off running with that helmet just baggling all over my head. And I, I got to first base and, and he, the ball stopped. He, he didn't, it didn't roll out. So I, he picks it up and he throws it back to the second baseman who had come over to, and it goes way over his head. So I round second base. And uh, I'm rounding third. I got my eyes closed. I'm just running. The guy gets it off the fence. He throws it all the way over to the shortstop, over his head, back out into left field. I round third, and I come in. Home run! Yeah. And you know how far I hit that ball? I hit that ball about 15 feet, 15 yards. An infield home run. And friends, that's what Paul is saying right here. I have hit an infield home run by being your pastor for the last 16 and a half years. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything. I didn't even hit it to first base. And yet I have rounded first and second and third. I glory in Christ Jesus that he has used me in this pulpit to preach the word of God to you. I glory that Jesus has allowed me to do that. I glory in Christ Jesus that he has allowed me to have a passion for worship and to teach you what it means to worship. I glory in that. I glory in knowing that the leaders of this church are strong. And when I leave, they will warn you and they will admonish you because they love you. And that this church is not going to fall apart. I glory in Christ Jesus with great confidence, absolute confidence in the word and the worship of God. Therefore, I glory in Christ. And then he moves on to his second point then, 18 through the following. He glories now by proclaiming. Here's his, here's his joy. All of that work that he had done through the word of God in the context of worship was so that the Gentiles would come in as God had already ordained from the foundation of the world. And then what would they do? 
Verse 18, they would obey God, having, or doing what he, Paul, did, and saying what he, Paul, said. That he glories in Christ Jesus that his service to God, I'm not going to venture to speak of anything in me, but God used me to accomplish salvation and a change of life to the Gentiles because not only has he saved them, but now they are actually obeying his word. He goes back to this context of looking at the Old Testament progressing into the New with his, word, uh, with his word there talking about the signs, the power of the signs and miracles. The phrase we read all the way back in the Old Testament with the, the exodus, the coming out of bondage, out into the wilderness to worship God. We read about it in the beginning of the New Testament, the authority given to the apostles signs and powers to do things and we read about it in the epistles that now through the word of God the proclamation of the word that God accompanies his word by his spirit with signs and miracles to bring us to the place of obedience here's the point I love grace you know that this is my favorite word but grace does not give us the license to do whatever we want to do and call it sanctification Sanctified sinning is sinning. God calls us to obedience, not simply to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word as well. So I don't seek to stand up here and just tell you it's all about grace. God has done everything for you except to bring you to the realization that your God is a lot bigger than you ever imagined and empowers you now by His Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that you now can live a life that is pleasing to God in obedience to His commands, doing what He commands you to do. That's what Paul is saying. I glory in Christ Jesus. Not going to venture in anything in me except to say that not only have the Gentiles come in by the word, but they are now obeying. They're living this life filled with the gospel. So he says then, it's always been my ambition, verse 20, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. All the way from Jerusalem to Alaricum, Paul is giving us his global picture of the gospel Paul is telling us that he is a true church planter. That this gospel was so big to him, so powerful to him, that what he wanted to do was go into different parts of the world where there was no gospel proclaimed, no foundation laid or built, and he wanted to give the good news of that gospel. Here's Paul saying, I am not just simply interested with right here and right now, but I'm interested with out there as well. There are individuals that need the gospel, Paul was saying. So I, it's my ambition not to build off of somebody else's foundation. The next guy that comes, friends, is going to build off a 16 and a half year foundation. He can't help that. Do him a favor, please, and let him use his gifts and not compare him to this little Presbyterian he needs that ability. He needs to stand and be his own man, the man that God has gifted him to be. He is going to build off of a foundation that's already been laid. He cannot help that. But you can help him by not comparing him to me. 
allow him to be his own man. It's my ambition as I go to a place where I'm being called to, 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 to preach and teach the gospel in the way that I'm called to preach and teach it. It's my ambition that you will allow him to come and preach and teach that same gospel to you. Our 20th celebration back in September, Bill Lambreth stood right here in this pulpit and he said, Bryant McGee was the right man for Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And I cringed inside for two reasons. Number one, because I didn't want to be an elevation of me, but yet then I I love, I love the praise of man so much. I thought, you're dead gum right, I'm the man. You know? I mean, I could have easily taken that and run with it. I really could. But you know what? I was the man for the job. For the last 16 and a half years, I came with the vision of preaching grace, the vision that Redeemer Presbyterian Church needed, grace upon grace, and so, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service of preaching grace to you. I was the man who came with a vision to start Redeemer Day School. And so I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God that Redeemer Day School currently has 100 students, about 40% of which are Hindu and are learning scripture and catechism questions. There is only one true God. There are, there's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to listen to these small children that we have touched for 10 years now, 10 years of planting gospel seeds into the minds of these little children to take that gospel into their world to live that gospel out. I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God that he used me to do that very thing. And I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God that he made me a church planter and that we planted Grace and Peace Presbyterian Church that's meeting right now in Anna, Texas with about 60 saints that have gathered there for corporate worship because God accomplished through me the planting of that church until we passed it on to Matt Wood. I venture in nothing accomplished in my own power. I can't even hit a ball over the head of the first baseman. But I glory in Christ Jesus that for the last 16 and a half years, he called me here to do what he equipped me to do by the power of his spirit, and look what he has done. My good friend Buck Clark gave me a piece of paper. I had been here, not a piece of paper, the front page of the McKinney Courier. I had been here six months, 2001. I had been here for six months. And Buck comes over one day and he says, have you seen this? And I open up the paper and the paper is uh, on the front page, this color map. David Craig announces Craig Ranch coming to Southwest McKinney. And I begin to look at this little map of all of these red boxes and green boxes and walk to this and walk to that and town center and all of this. And lo and behold, there was our 12 acres that we owned right over here on Custer Road. And I thought, Ooh, <laughs> this is something. 
So I went over to Howard Van Pelt's house, and I said, Howard, look here. And he said, come on, let's go. We got in the car. We drove to David Craig International's headquarters up on 380 at that time. We walked in and said, we have no appointment. We just opened the newspaper, and we just see this. And we own this little piece of property right there, and we wanted to see if we could maybe make an appointment sometime in the future to see David Craig. Oh, hold on one second. Let me see if he's available. They walk back, come back out. Two and a half hours later, after this guy finally stops telling me all of his vision for Craig Ranch, two and a half hours he spends with us. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this and this and this. That begins this relationship between David Craig and Redeemer Presbyterian Church that would ultimately lead to this place that he would buy our 12 acres on Custer, sell us this six acres and give us $500,000 in cash, that he would donate $300,000 worth of utilities to the corner of the property out here with the road infrastructure and building. He would donate the 50 trees on our, uh, on our property that the city of McKinney required us to have, and he would pay for and install all of the flat work, the parking lot, in the front of the building. David Craig, don't listen if you're on tape, <laughs> David Craig was utterly convinced that he would earn his way into heaven by being a good man. He is a good man. But God used David Craig to accomplish that we would move into phase one of our facility and in a few years pay phase one off, build phase two, and in a few years after that pay that off and that we would be debt free today. Do you see the bigness of your God? You cannot look back in any history in Redeemer Church and say that happened because of anything that we did or could do. We can't hit it over the head of the first baseman. But look what God has accomplished through you, through me, and the promise of what he will continue to accomplish through this pulpit that says, Sir, we would like to see Jesus the gospel. And so I glory, I glory in Christ Jesus that he allowed me to enjoy 16 and a half years of doing this with you. What a savior. What a church. What a gospel. Father in heaven, we rejoice in knowing that you have accomplished all that you have accomplished, not because of anything good in us, but the only thing good in us is the work of the Spirit, your Spirit, who allowed us to do all that you had ordained that we would do, just like the Gentiles came in because you ordained it. We exist today at Redeemer Church because you ordained it, and you are doing your work here. There are lost around us that need the gospel. Bring them to us. Cause us to go get them as well. Father, thank you for this wonderful testimony of your goodness to your people this wonderful body, this wonderful work that you will continue. Do it, Father, and use us to accomplish the work of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.